Corey Taves. He'd worked the patch. Crazy as a shithouse rat, but a hard worker. He was lucky he was still alive. Ted couldn't remember whether Corey had been on site when Surtur escaped, but knowing the coke habit he cultivated, it was only a matter of time before he ended up out of doors. These words were written about yours truly, by today's guest, in his book Too Far Gone, the third book of the Thunder Road trilogy, Aurora Award-winning author Chadwick Ginther. Chadwick's joining us today to talk about music as it appears in his books in this music-adjacent episode of the Geekspin podcast. So sit back and strap in, because the show is a go. You have my sword, her bow, and her phaser. You have our dragon, her wand, his lightsaber. You have their special dice, her sonic screwdriver. We are united by what we love. We are united by what we love. Welcome back to another episode of the Geekspin Podcast, and today I'm very excited to have on music enthusiast and Aurora Award-winning author, Chadwick Ginther. Chadwick, welcome. Thanks for having me. So, obviously you're not a musician yourself, but uh, music does seem to be play a big part, uh, at least in the Thunder Road trilogy. When did you get the idea to use music titles as the titles of each of the chapters? Uh, well, song titles... Uh, came about because I made my I made my protagonist Ted Callan a music fan. Uh, it's probably the most personal part of my self that has ended up in those books. I kind of his taste in music is my taste in music. Um, but I had already made uh, like a mixtape that served as my outline for the book and sort of like an emotional mood ring really i almost always make uh make a mix cd or mixtape um just to listen to like drive around in the car go for a walk uh if i get stuck it's the mood is the is the important thing for me and the, and the music really helps me convey that and then i thought um i hate coming up with titles and all these songs have great titles and i'm using them anyway so let's uh let's just go with that rather than, than just saying chapter one, chapter two. Uh, I thought that that could give, give the, give an astute reader or somebody who uh, is also a music fan, a little bit of a clue of what they're in for. When did you first uh, start listening to music? Do you remember what type of music really kind of first drew you in to the music medium? I think it's always been around. Like my, my parents listened to music a lot when I was growing up, it was always in the car, you know, there was, there was tapes and, and I don't like we play records at, uh, at my grandparents' house during family gatherings. Um, no real musicians in the family, per se. Like it, uh, I didn't. I didn't try my hand at at, uh, at trying to play an instrument uh, seriously until I was in my twenties. Um, but it, it was always kind of around, and I just really enjoyed it. Um, I think I probably started listening to a lot of country music with my with my grandparents like Johnny Cash, Hank Williams, that kind of that kind of stuff. Um, classic rock with my parents. There was a lot of CCR and ZZ Top and stuff like that, and on in the car. Um, and then uh, I got into I got into metal in my you know early teens as is sort of the, sort of the way. And, 
I think it was finding, um, I don't know if you remember AP magazine, alternative press yes, magazine, yes, I do. Uh, but coming across that started, I mean, I, I grew up in, uh, in small town Manitoba, so I didn't have access to a lot of like the alternative scene. Like it was very top 40 in, in terms of stuff that I was buying and, and I didn't have a car yet to go into Winnipeg to, to buy anything, but that AP magazine kind of started giving me hints of something else out there that might be, that might be cool. And then kind of bag borrowed and stealed, uh, stole my way into, into the industrial scene. So that was, that was kind of what got me, uh, looking at, at sort of different things, but I never really let go of any of the stuff that I liked. Like I, you know, still listen to metal, still listen to a lot of the classic rock. I still like old school country. Um, I just kind of grew like, I just kind of kept accumulating, you know, different styles of music as I aged that I enjoyed, but never, never really cast anything off. Um, so it's definitely varied. Um, before I started writing seriously, I, because I, I tried, uh, I tried to learn to play guitar and I could never got much past like doing three and four chord, like blues progressions. Like I wasn't great. I could play, uh, I could play Wheat Kings by the hip and I could play, um, uh, um, Three Angels by Headstones, kind of very very simple sort of stuff. I could do like the I could do the rhythm the rhythm part. Um, so I, I was looking at getting into doing the engineering side. I'd taken a couple of courses on music production and like using Pro Tools and all that sort of thing. And, uh, and I sort of realized how much how much volunteering I would need to do before I could actually make a living at it. And it just didn't seem viable. And so then I took took up another vocation. <laughs> that is a lot of work for not a lot of money. True enough. <laughs> um, so let's talk about you as an author. Um, what really drove you to decide to become a uh, fantasy author? Uh, I, I typically blame uh, I typically blame comic books and D anD. d Comic books because they were my gateway to reading. And uh, D and D was my real gateway to creating characters, and then expanding that to creating stories. Once I started running games and not just serving as a player, I was building worlds and populating it with all kinds of characters, not just not just ones that I would, you know, enjoy uh, inhabiting for a short time. Uh, so those were. were two of the main things. So I was always kind of noodling with story ideas, but I never really did anything with them. Like I may have, I may have finished like a handful of short stories, um, in my teens. Um, but it, it only became serious once I started working as a bookseller because I didn't think that being an author was a re just a realistic thing that I could do. Um, authors came from somewhere else. They didn't come from Morden. They didn't come from Winnipeg. Like maybe they, maybe Toronto or Vancouver, but like, I don't know, in my brain, it was London or New York or Los Angeles kind of thing, right? Like you had to be from somewhere big. Um, and then I started working as a, as a bookseller and I saw local Manitoba authors launching books almost every day in Winnipeg. And I, I it just sort of, this is a thing I can do. And I'm kind of in a perfect place to learn how to do that. So I went to a lot of author readings. I asked people questions. Um, I 
followed them online and, and anybody who was posting writing advice, I would kind of look at that and, and see, uh, you know, whether it worked for me or not. And uh, finally saw a short story competition and decided to enter it. And that made me finish a story and finishing that story built a writing routine. And sort of the, at the time, the uh, sort of traditional wisdom was you, you published a bunch of short stories before you worked at, at novels, but they're two different skill sets, really. Uh, that short stories were good for teaching me how to finish something. And then uh, I primarily read novels, so I thought that, that it, that's what made more sense for me to write. And uh, Thunder Road was my uh, second novel. Who were some of your uh, early influences as authors? Um, <clears throat> when I first started, I was doing a lot more in like kind of sort of sorcery, um, uh, epic fantasy kind of range. I was reading a lot of like Scott Lynch and George R. R. Martin, and I kind of grown up with the Belgariad by David Eddings and and uh, Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. So those were definitely kind of kicking around, but it was also around this time that urban fantasy really took off. And so I started reading Jim Butcher and Patricia Briggs and Kelly Armstrong and Carrie Vaughn, Tanya Huff. Um, I mean, Tanya's written all kinds of stuff, not just urban fantasy, but this is kind of when I, when I discovered her, uh, her blood books. Um, and so that's, that kind of, I was like, I really liked the, I really liked the, the juxtaposition of the magic and the mundane and, and uh, again, because I loved music, this was a this was a way where I could like use that in a real way, and uh, you know, or make movie references, like all you know, like all this talk about D and D, like all that kind of stuff. If I wanted to do it, I was able to do it because it makes sense. It's our it's our world just kind of through a lens of the fantastic. Uh, so that was definitely a, a change. Those were all big influences. Um, Robert E. Howard, you know, all the, the, a lot of the pulp authors um, that I found early in my childhood. And speaking of Roberts, uh, you have a very well-known supporter in uh, Robert Sawyer. During my bookseller days, uh, he kind of got me back into reading science fiction. At the time, I was, just, I was still reading fantasy, but I'd kind of given up on science fiction. And I think it was, uh, it was Calculating God uh, that I took out of my... Uh, my hometown library and that kind of got me reading his work and then uh, I'm sure he was happy to have a fan at, at a bookstore when, uh, when we did meet uh, but yeah he was uh, he was kind enough to blurb my first book and uh, has definitely been uh, has, has shown a lot of support for my work over over the years you just recently won an Aurora award for a short story do you want to talk about that sure I uh, I, I never I never expected to win for this story, but I'm, I'm thrilled that I did. Um, the story is called All Cats Go to Valhalla, and uh, it is a historical uh, historical fantasy story set in the Thunder Road universe uh, about some uh, some cats that are stranded on a longship after all of the all of the Viking sailors uh, have been killed by a mysterious force. Uh, an editor that I follow was kind of joking around and posting pirate cat gifs 
um, with an editor who has published some of her anthologies in the past. And it just became this whole kind of thing. And uh, I chimed in. I found this this gif of a, it looked like a Norwegian forest cat with a, with a round shield and an axe. And it was raising the axe up in the air. And, uh, and I just sort of, you know, you'll have my axe. Right. And, <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh man, I, I said, I would send him a story. And this became a real anthology and now it's a real anthology. So I kind of have to submit a story. And, uh, I, you know, had anticipated it to be this, this sort of silly thing. And I ended up writing one of like, one of my stories that is more closer to horror really, because it's like a, it's like a, there's a nightmare loose on this ship and the, you know, the cats are being picked off one by one. And, uh, and, just, and, and, uh, there's so many really excellent stories that came out of that just wild Twitter conversation. So it's, uh, it's, it's not a thing that I thought I would have won an award for, uh, but I'm so happy it resonated with readers and, you know, maybe after, you know, the, the dumpster fire that the world has been <laughs> for the past several years, maybe people just needed a cat story. And I showed up at the right time. You can never go wrong with cat stories. Yeah, I'm very thankful to uh, you know the editor and the publisher for liking the story, and, and especially to the readers who uh, who really uh, cared enough about it and remembered it. You know, months after the fact, when the when the nomination period for the Auroras opened up. So yeah, that it, it, it means a lot. So what do you have uh, planned next for your writing? Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of things going on that I that are not solidified enough to actually talk about. Um, but one of the things that I've been, I've been trying to do um, largely cause I, I, through COVID, I haven't had the headspace to uh, work on a novel um, is I've been trying to finish up a bunch of my short stories. My short story ideas tend to come to me in a flash of inspiration that lasts between 500 to 1500 words. And once I get that down, it just kind of sits until there's a reason to do something with it. Because usually I'm working on a novel. So if a if a, an anthology open call comes and it's like, oh, this is a water-themed anthology, and then I'll go, oh, I think I have something for that. So honestly, right now, I'm, I'm trying to finish about 20 short stories. And I've been making, a, making headway on a bunch of them. Uh, there's a, a game writer, Jason Peter, I think, uh, P-I-T-R-E. And he said on Twitter about his uh, his means of project management and how he has like a a now folder, a next folder, an eventually folder, and uh, just sort of an ideas folder. And so I, I put a bunch of stories into the now and like these are what I'm allowing myself to work on, only these projects. And once I finish one of those, I move something from the next into there. So I've got between my next and my now, I've got about 20 short stories. Uh, that I'm trying to finish. Uh, I'm hoping to get at least three or four more out the door by the end of the year. Um, a lot of them are Thunder Road stories. Uh, some are um, based on a, a story I published in OnSpec, uh, I think it was 2018, uh, called Cheating the Devil at Solitaire, which uh, is my uh, in my Magic Mennonite sequence. Uh, it's sort of... Uh, or the uh, the uncanny Pemina Valley uh, is the other the other thing I've been referring it to, uh, and it's it's a lot less um, obvious fantasy, 
so like that's a story. Uh, Cheating the Devil at Solitaire is just about uh, this guy who believes that that if he doesn't win at Solitaire during a family gathering, that the devil will do bad things to his family. And it's a weird mixture of like everybody in my family played cards, but my grandma and she called cards the devil's game. And yet everybody was sitting around the, the dining room table playing cards at every family gathering. And, uh, and so like, it's just sort of a weird little bit of like kind of family, family folklore that became the story. And, and so now I kind of want to do something more in that like made up, uh, uh, version of, uh, of the Pennant of Valleys. So I've got a bunch of, bunch of story ideas for that and uh, a bunch of Thunder Road stories I'm trying to whip into shape. Uh, I would love to finish a sequel to uh, Graveyard Mind. I have to find a new publisher uh, for that series, unfortunately, but uh, I've got 75% of a draft of that book done. Uh, I, I feel like in start of 2022, I want to be working on uh, working on a novel again, at least in the background do a little bit of it every day so lots of things as soon as as soon as anything is solid and uh, a contract has been signed uh, then I usually announce it right away on uh, on Twitter and my Facebook page so you'll probably see it there so what's your writing process usually like it depends uh, if uh, if we're talking short stories, like I tend, I take that kernel of a of an idea that I that I've had. I almost never just sit down and write a short story. I take one of those one of those um, one of those nuggets that I wrote, and then I go through all of my. I, I have a folder for every bit of writing that doesn't have a home, and now it's it's basically a novel length already. It's over. It's well over two hundred pages. I go through there for things that might that might fit um, with whatever short story I'm. I'm try and finish and then I kind of quilt it together I take the things that that work and keep those and flesh out those little scenes and connect them until I have a story and usually that is too long for whatever the, the word count limit is for what I'm trying to submit it to so then I have to hone it down and and uh, I have a process for that where uh, uh, I've heard it said that you can cut five to ten percent of almost anything without losing the meat of the story just by slicing and dicing, you know, kind of, you know, filler words. Um, I'll, I'll look at, uh, if I want to cut, say, a thousand words from, you know, a, a 10,000 word story or something like that, you know, that, that 10%, well, how many, how many pages do I have in my manuscript? How many words is that per page? And I'll look at it at a page by page basis. Um, just striking out, and then and then when you go looking for things that way, um, you often find more. When you when you're just looking at that that kind of micro level, um, or if I, I have a list I have a list of those filler words that I go hunting for, like just and that and all those sorts of things, and uh, and I just find and search. Uh, I I don't do global deletions because that won't work, but I, I look at every every instance. And if I can cut it, I do. Or if I can reword it so that it's it's tighter, I do. And often by by looking at the manuscript piecemeal like that, jumping around, I find things jump out at me 
kind of strike me more at a glance. And so I find, you know, it's like, I don't need this. I've said this earlier. I just saw this. Whereas if you're reading it over the span of half an hour or an hour or more, you know, maybe you're not as, as uh, attentive as you should be. And so you kind of glaze over some of that stuff. Um, with novels, uh, I tend to kind of grip it and rip it. Like I, whatever my, whatever my inciting incident is to start writing the book, I start from there and just go. Um, with Thunder Road, uh, my second chapter involves the protagonist getting tattooed by a bunch of dwarves in the my sorely missed uh, Osborne Village Inn. But uh, yeah, he was he was kidnapped by these dwarves and tattooed with uh, with magic powers of the of the Norse gods. And I wrote that scene first. And then I was like, well, how did he end up in that room? Like, why is this happening? And so I kind of, I kind of wrote to where he, to where he, uh, where that, that incident happened. And then I just kept going. I had no plan for those books other than that. He was going to be a blue collar dude who got thrown into the world of magic. And that was, that was the only thing I had. It's, it's, uh, it was kind of like driving at night, you know, like I, I had the headlights to show me just far enough to keep going, but I couldn't actually see where I was going to end up. And this is another instance uh, where music directly influenced that book. Um, I'd sort of ended a chapter on a bit of a cliffhanger and I was, it was kind of, I was going to, I'd ended the chapter and I was going to finish my writing session for the day. And I just had my, my Thunder Road playlist on random and ACDC's If You Want Blood, You've Got It came up. And I'm like, oh, there's a fight. Like, it's he's not talking his way out of this. It's a fight, and it's on. And I just, I it, it was kind of, I think it was the, like the penultimate chapter. And I just wrote it. And I, I'd already written 2,000 words that day. I like, finished a chapter, thought I was done, and I just had to go because it just arrived. Um, the, the sequel to to Thunder Road, Tombstone Blues arrived like as a whole book, which was a different thing for me. Like I wrote one line in Thunder Road and immediately knew what the next book was. And I was chasing it the entire time. I, I wrote my first draft of that book in less than two months, I think. I could hold the whole thing in my head and I had to get it out before I lost it. Um, then, uh, it's it's been it's it's been kind of a different thing for each book, um, the the finale in, in the trilogy uh, was one where I realized that I had I'd been writing some of of Too Far Gone as I was writing books one and two like a scene would come up I'm like oh this is for book three, and I would just kind of write it because I knew it and then I set it aside, and then uh, I my writing um, routine had changed at the time so I was kind of I was wasn't writing so much uh, in the mornings before work. So I changed jobs. And so now I was busing to work instead of walking to work. And so I was writing kind of 500 words a day on the bus, handwritten in a notebook that I then had to type out. And uh, when I realized that I had a, about a book's worth of stuff, I called it a first draft. And then I had to organize it. And this is kind of, this was, that book was a lot more a lot more similar to how I write my short stories and that I had all of these disparate scenes that I had to quilt together 
into the correct order and find out what was missing and fill it in, find out what was superfluous and pull it. To the Geekspin Podcast listeners, at this point we had a bit of a technical difficulty, so we're going to rejoin the conversation where we find out just how I wound up in book three of the Thunder Road trilogy. Uh, Corey, uh, Corey called out across a crowded, uh, uh, con suite room, uh, during KeyCon one year and just hollered at me, Thunder Road sucks. And I did not take it, uh, I did not take it poorly because Corey and I had known each other for years at this point. Um, and I just shouted back, <laughs> looks like somebody wants to die in book three. <laughs> and you were like, oh my God, really? And I did. And you did. <laughs> That was a, that was a lot of fun to write, actually. <laughs> yeah, that finishing that book almost killed me, but I I still it's probably I think Tombstone Blues is my favorite of the of the three, which is weird maybe because it's like you know middle book syndrome and you know you, you feel like it never gets its due. But I'm I am so stupidly proud of how Too Far Gone turned out because it's like I had written drafts of book ones before and. Had never like I'd finished a book and I'd finished stories, but I'd never finished a story on this on this scale. And uh, it was, it seemed like it, it felt like it fought me every step of the way. And and uh, I'm glad it I'm glad it worked out. What uh, influenced you to I guess base the stories around uh, Viking mythology? Um, I I've always loved uh, mythology. Um, found it when I was a kid. Uh, People of our of our uh, vintage probably remember the old Hercules cartoon. I went to the library and I looked up Greek mythology, and I found uh, Delaire's book of Greek myths, and I read it over and over again. And then when I had to return it, the very next book on the shelf uh, beside it was Delaire's book of Norse myths, and I didn't really. I think I maybe had an awareness of Thor as a thing from Marvel Comics, but not, I didn't read Thor at that time. Um, I was reading like ROM and Star Wars and, uh, and that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, I read Delaire's book of Norse myths and I loved that one even more. Um, and uh, yeah, I think there's something about like being the smallest kid in your class and the idea of Thor as a giant slayer that that spoke to me um, you know the nascent D&D player in me was like these guys have super cool magic items like I, w- I want a folding boat that I can keep in my pocket and you know like I this is like all of this is awesome um, but yeah like I, I literally I checked that book out of the library if they still had the card in it you would see my, my library card number like over and over and over again and uh, like it got to the point where the librarian was like, you know, maybe another little boy wants to read about Norse mythology. And I was like, no, <laughs> check that out. Um, and, but I mean, she never, she never stopped me. I think she was just glad that I was, she was glad that I was reading, but uh, I, it sort of, I expanded from there um, after I, I, I went looking for more of those kinds of stories uh, stumbled across the uh, story of Sigurd and like the uh, the Volsung myths, and that kind of gave. That's where I mean, that's obviously where the seed of you know the invulnerable character came for me, right? Like he got 
killed a dragon, bathed in its blood, and now he had, you know, rock-hard skin and couldn't be hurt. And uh, so, like, that, all of that stuff was kind of kicking around. But it was, uh, yeah, it was the, the Hercules cartoon that kind of led me down the path to mythology. And once I started kind of getting into the contemporary fantasy and, and I realized that I wanted, to sit, I wanted to write and set my books in Manitoba, um, just, I, I mean, I knew of Gimli as a thing, uh, the town of Gimli. But I didn't realize how deeply the New Icelanders who immigrated here had kind of made their mark on the Manitoba map. You know, like, there is a rural municipality of Bifrost, you know, the, the bridge that connects Earth to Asgard. There is a town named Balder, one of the Norse gods. Even Gimli, like, Gimli is uh, reputedly the name of the settlement where the survivors of Ragnarok live on. So like all this stuff was just kind of like there on the map. And so I'm like, it, there's a reason for Norse mythology to have it to be happening here. And then I, you know, looked at instances of Sasquatch sightings. We have more Sasquatch sightings in Manitoba than anywhere else in Canada other than BC. We have a lake monster, like all these, all the little bits of, of folklore. I'm like, why couldn't Manipogo be Jormungandr? Why couldn't Sasquatch be a giant? Why, you know, why not? Um, and so I had a lot of fun with that. Now, there's another uh, more contemporary, I guess, myth, or if it is a myth at all, uh, that you explored in one of your uh, short stories, where Ted was looking for a copy of Back in Black, as uh, sung by, uh, and now, of course, I'm going to blank on the name. By Bon Scott. By Bon Scott, yes. Yeah, uh, Back in Black with with Bon Scott vocals instead of, uh, instead of Brian Johnson vocals. And, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a, that story came out of a throwaway line where uh, Ted gets offered anything and he's like, I want to hear back in black sung by Bon Scott. Right. And it was just like, you know, it was just a thing. Like I love back in black and I, but I prefer Bon Scott era ACDC and, uh, just became like, I'm like, I want to write a story about that. And, I, I worked for a while with a guy who was just an obsessive collector of music and media. And you add, like, you asked him about something like he had, like, if, if you, if you needed to see a copy of like the, the challenger shuttle exploding, he has it on, on a VHS tape somewhere. you like some weird, like, I mean, that's not, and I'm like, you know, everybody was watching that. Um, but he hasn't like he saved it. Right. Like that's the kind of the stuff, like notable moments. And he just, he had all of this stuff and like, he kept bringing the wildest music like to work. And, and every day, like I was learning a new band from him. And so I kind of paid homage to that. And like, he was this collector who had things that shouldn't exist, not just everything that did exist. He had things that shouldn't exist. And, uh, and so, yeah, I ended up writing a, writing a story out of that. And, um, it was, it was a lot of fun, that one. <laughs> so where can people find you on social media? Uh, I am at Chadwick Ginther, C-H-A-D-W-I-C-K-G-I-N-T-H-E-R, uh, uh, on most things, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, there is a Chadwick Ginther author Facebook page, and uh, my website is chadwickginther.com. Um so yeah, pretty much uh, anything that happens, I, I, I post it on Twitter first and eventually it trickles onto my website. 
um, and that's where uh, that's where I'm uh, most commonly uh, interacting as an author is uh, my website and Twitter. Well, thank you for coming out today, Chadwick, and to you out there in podcast land, we'll see you again. A huge thanks to Chadwick Ginther for coming out today. If you're enjoying the podcast, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash meet he geeks. That's right. We messed up on the domain. So that's patreon.com forward slash M-E-E-T-H-E-G-E-E-K-S. And help us keep bringing great content and great interviews with the artists you want to know about.